The date is Friday, January 29th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. On this special episode of the podcast, a guest shares his expertise to talk about a subject that's having a moment across bars and tasting rooms the world over. We'll define what makes a bottle of bourbon and its long historical connection to the United States, and how you too can get in on the experience at home along with us. Enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting week here on your favorite entertainment podcast. This is Entertain This! That was good. I liked it. You went a little rogue there. <laughs> hey, you didn't say your part. That's okay. <laughs> no, say your part. Oh, Entertain <laughs> This! As always, I'm Alex. I'm Michael. And I'm Nick. And if any of you say anything about my voice, I was scream singing Santa Fe from the hit musical uh, Newsies just a little bit ago in my car, so my voice is rough. Should I have done it before recording a podcast? Probably not. Welcome to the uh, last episode in the first week of 2021. You guys made it. Yeah. We did it. New year, new month. We made it all the way to the end. We're still going, uh, unlike some other podcasts. Uh, But uh, that being said, we have a special guest on as we always do at the end of the month uh and i feel like if we're if we're looking at our podcast as kind of a uh building steps always trying to outdo ourselves every every month i think we really outdid ourselves this time oh yeah um we've had some some pretty amazing guests on uh we had djw on talking about him making music we had the people who work for uh disney and universal come on and kind of debate each other but what I will say is, with those guests, they spoke about the things we asked them to, um, but I don't think we got really much information, rather just like personal experience. But I think that this month we have an actual expert, and I say that uh, being that we've recorded this podcast once before, <laughs> and we lost the audio recording... So I know from experience that this is an actual expert on the topic that we're talking about today. Uh, and I, I, I'm really excited to talk about it. So without further ado, I will go ahead and introduce our guest this week. It is uh, Steve Price, MD. Welcome, Steve, to the podcast. Thank you very much. You don't have to throw in the MD every time, but Steve will work. <laughs> well, you know, I, at this point, I've done it so many times that it, I, I don't think I could stop if I wanted to. You spent to. 10 years in, in college, so you know what? Yeah, yeah you earned that MD. It cost yeah. you a lot of money, I assume. Yeah, still paying for it, so yeah. Oof. Mm. Yeah, if, I, always, I always said that I wanted to be a lawyer so that I could have the Esquire at the end, because <laughs> Alexander Steele Esquire just sounds so cool. I agree. Yeah, right? I, yeah. Yeah, I don't I, I think it's really hard to have a name that sounds bad that goes with Esquire. <laughs> Michael yeah, you Savoy can almost put Esquire. anything there. Yeah, exactly. You can put anything yeah. in front of that and it's still gonna sound good. So um what we're gonna talk about this week, um they, the reason they've asked me to come on, even though I've got an MD at the end of my name, we're not talking about medicine, we're not talking about anything like that. We're talking about whiskey. Uh, yeah, it's important to note we are talking about whiskey this week. Uh we're talking about bourbon uh specifically specific but um i think that if there was anyone who i trusted to talk about alcohol 
it would be a doctor. <laughs> I would rather have a doctor talk about it with with our fans than mm. just some guy I found on the street who had it in a paper bag. <laughs> it's just a little ethanol. Yeah. I'm not sure that's the best endorsement. Yeah, this this doctor knows about things that can really hurt you. That's great. Yeah, he he knows all about that. Yeah, but I mean, if you say it's okay, it must be, you know. (laughs) In moderation, my friend. Yeah, and there there goes there's our legal our our legal disclaimer for the week. Drink uh, responsibly. Mm -hmm. Please drink drink responsibly, responsibly, uh, and please be of age uh, 21 and up, ladies and gents. Exactly. Uh, that's, That's that's what we're aiming at. Uh, so a quick overview of what this episode's going to look like. Um, Steve, uh, you've prepared a lot for us, and we're very excited about that. So we're going to be talking a lot about the history of bourbon, um, going into some of the terms associated with whiskey and bourbon. Um, we, we will expand outside of bourbon, but we're, we're talking about whiskey. But uh, bourbon is an important part of this episode because uh, at the end, we will be doing a tasting Uh, We have three different kinds of bourbon here, all that represent different things that we're going to be talking about. Um, So it may be fun. uh, If you want to drink along with us, uh, go ahead and and pack up the wife, pack up the kids, uh, head to the liquor store and pick up three bottles of bourbon so that you can uh, listen with three 20-something-year-olds and a doctor as we attempt (laughs) to do a bourbon tasting. Are you going to tell them which ones to go buy, or do they just go? Yeah, and- I will, so that they can listen while they're while they're shopping. So, the three that we will be tasting today, uh, right off the bat, we have Heaven Hill Six Year. Mm-hmm. I I, sh- I show the camera mm-hmm. the green light. so that the boys can see it. Though we are a uh, we are a uh, an audio medium. Uh, we are listening or not listening. <laughs> we are also trying uh, old granddad old granddad bonded. Not bondage. Uh, that's another one. That's, it's that's an orange label. <laughs> and then, of course, the uh, the down-home favorite. Everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. Maker's Mark with mm-hmm. the uh, wax-dipped top. Yes, sir. And those are the three bourbons that we will be trying today. But first, let me throw it to you, Steve. It's your show. Okay. Uh, teach us some stuff. Thank you. I, uh, I will do my best. So if, if there was any goal that I would have by the end of this, it would be... Just to ring off what you just said, people go to the store, you go to buy bourbon, you look down the aisles, you look at these stacked shelves and have no idea. I mean, you go to a place like Depths, you go to a place like Party Source down there, the stores that we have nearby, you literally have hundreds mm-hmm. of choices. So you pick up a bottle, you look at it, you see what it says on the label. What my, my hope is that by the end, you can read those labels, you know you have an idea what the uh, terms are that are on the label. You get an idea kind of what some of the basic distilleries are, who makes what, and can maybe make a good choice, make an informed choice on what you should buy at the liquor store. So we'll just start off saying that, that that's a goal by the end, that hopefully we can all gain a little bit of information to help us make informed choices in purchasing bourbon. Because that's really one of the reasons that I went out and started reading, learning, buying books, going on podcasts myself, or listening to podcasts myself, just mm-hmm. trying to figure this whole thing out because I would go into a liquor store and be overwhelmed and a little intimidated about what I should buy. So that's kind of where, how this all started. So we, if you start talking about whiskey and the history of whiskey, and I think we should start there, um, you really think about the founding fathers. Um, they, most of them had distilleries. 
Um, if you've ever visited uh, Mount Vernon, where George Washington's homestead is, or Monticello, mm-hmm. where Jefferson's homestead, part of the tour, part of what you're going to see there and talk about are the distilleries that they were in. And not just for their own use, but in a lot of cases, um, these distilleries provided a source of income that allowed these plantations and allowed these operations to run. So it, it was started off early when they first came over from uh, the old world. A lot of them knew what whiskey was and had had it there and decided they would go ahead and do that here in, uh, in America as well. And most of these distilleries became uh, very successful, started making a lot of money. And as people moved from the East Coast and started to move out west, um, distilleries started to pop up out there. And of course, we have a new country, we have a new economy going on. And Alexander Hamilton proposed a whiskey tax in 1791. (laughs) Everybody loves Hamilton. So, Mm -hmm. Alex, give me the line. I know you know Hamilton. What does Jefferson say when they're talking about maybe taxing the whiskey? Let's hear it. A a little... A little fun insider for everyone. He called me to do this last time, too, and I remembered it right off the bat. Give me just a second, because <laughs> though I should have it ready, I don't. We'll cut this uh, out. Don't it's, worry. it's something no, about cut, frisky. No, keep, it, keep it in. Keep it live. Right. It's um, when people taxed our tea, we got frisky. Imagine what going to happen when they try and tax our whiskey. There you go. Uh, and everybody's like, ooh, got <laughs> Exactly. And, and, and darned if Hamilton. They're right. We hate it when they taxed our tea. Uh, and look what happened. 1791, uh, Alexander yeah. Hamilton, in an attempt to get some money for the New Republic, taxed whiskey. And it did not go so mm-hmm. well. Uh, the folks that had moved out and were out in western Pennsylvania and starting to settle down into Kentucky and some other places were all had very successful distilleries. They did not like that. And so maybe if you remember your history, something called the Whiskey Rebellion took place. And that went on for three years, 1791 through 1794. All of these folks started fighting back and saying, we are not going to pay taxes on this whiskey. And so George Washington took some militia and started to march out to these places and demand that these folks pay their taxes on the whiskey. And immediately the rebellion stood down. People started paying their taxes. But eventually, Jefferson, himself also a distiller, not a big fan of the tax, uh, repealed it in 1800. And then, of course, years later, the taxes came back. Um, the government, of course, to this day, continues to tax our whiskey. Uh, and <laughs> some other regulations have come along through the years. But basically, we kind of start there. Um, the, the Founding Fathers distilleries, they all basically were using uh, grains and things that were readily available to them. Uh, if you go to the Mount Vernon distillery, they have refurbished it and reopened it now. And they're actually selling Washington rye whiskey there for, Mm -hmm. of course, about $200 a bottle. It's Mm -hmm. a little pricey (laughs) out there. So I'm sorry, you all are hearing my grandfather clock right now. (laughs) If you can hear that. No, it's okay. I did not think about silencing the grandfather clock in the background. So I don't know. That kind of gives it a little bit of a Celtic vibe, maybe. Yeah. yeah. It's proof proof to the pudding that that we're being safe and social distancing while recording this podcast. Because we're each in our individual homes. It's one of those little Easter eggs. They, They listen a little closer. They can tell exactly what time we recorded the podcast. (laughs) that yeah oh that's a good one i like that (laughs) 
So the yeah, they, uh, the distilleries that opened and and started making whiskey um, back in the days of the founding fathers and so forth, um, because it was an economic uh, thing, they they basically used the whatever leftover grains they could get their hands on and. Something that was easy to grow, plentiful, easy to store, um, easy to keep around all year was rye, so that's why they primarily used rye. Um, corn was a higher-priced product, so they didn't begin using that uh, initially, but as we saw people moving out west into Pennsylvania, into Kentucky, and so forth, corn was very plentiful there, and mm-hmm. um, they started using some different grains. Um, as you think about where this, where everybody started do, uh, making whiskey and why bourbon ended up settling into Kentucky, it's a perfect place to make bourbon. That's, that's one of the first reasons. They have good water source. Uh, apparently, one of the things that is very, very important is that the water be low in iron, high in calcium, and that's a perfect description of the water that comes from most of the aquifers in Kentucky are limestone aquifers and are high in calcium, low in iron. That's one of the reasons they everybody thinks mm-hmm. that the bourbon out of Kentucky is the best in the world. They also have the ability to grow a lot of grain there because of their climates, and um, they had access to a lot of trees, so they were able to make barrels uh, to store it in, um, and that's basically how... Um, Western Pennsylvania, Kentucky, all of those areas became uh, where some of the first distilleries um, making bourbon, um, where they came from. So on that note, we can start talking about the definition. Like back then, um, before um, some laws were passed, you could almost name anything. You put it in a barrel and call it whiskey and sell it. There weren't really many Mm -hmm. regulations over things. So During the William Howard Taft presidency, which was in the early 1900s, before Prohibition, um, they decided that they needed to put some definitions on whiskey so that you couldn't just throw poison in a bottle and and sell it to people and tell them it's whiskey, something from grain. Apparently, people were putting all kinds of crazy things in the bottles back then and selling (laughs) them. Um, People traveling around, kind of like snake oil salesmen, all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, literal snake oil, right? <laughs> Literally, yeah. So they're like, "Hey, drink this, and and you'll get you'll get drunk." <laughs> oh, you're gonna feel great, yeah, and then, yeah, you're and feel know, great, yeah. Who knows what was in it? So basically, to protect us and to also put some regulations in place so that it would make it make it easier uh, to follow where this stuff is made and tax it, I believe. Um, some definitions came down. It, in order for something to be called whiskey, it would have to be made um, of a cereal grain with at least 51% of a specific type of grain in there. And they, um, you can call something rye whiskey um, in America if it has at least 51% rye. I mean, it can be 100% if you want it to be. But I think over the years, people have figured uh, out that by mixing different grains, you can get some different flavors and things taste better. But in order for something to be called bourbon, it has to be 51% corn. The other grains can be a mix of different things, and we'll talk about that a little bit later um, as we start to do our tasting, that there are all kinds of different um, grain amounts that you can use. Um, That particular phrase or that particular term what kind of grains you use is something called a mash bill, um, bill being B-I-L. Mm-hmm. It's, it's basically what mm-hmm. types of grains are in it. That's how you describe as you make that mash and as you add the yeast and start um, doing the fermentation, the mash bill is how That's much interesting. of each. Yeah. Yeah, That's so, interesting because uh, earlier today, I, I, or I guess it was yesterday, I sent you a bottle um, that I thought picture, was cool. Yeah. It was that 
Yeah, it was that uh, kind of a Canadian whiskey that they were mm-hmm. making. Um, and I looked it up online, and when I looked it up under mash, it said it was classified. Like, they had not released what the mash was yet. Those yeah. sneaky Which Canadians. is interesting now. <laughs> yeah, in Canada, they don't have to tell you. Uh, well, and actually, you you don't have to tell in America either, but it does have to at least be within those percentages. In Canada, they don't they don't mm-hmm. set any percentage. Um, what they say is it has to be a mash of cereal grains, and it has to be aged at least three years in order to call it whiskey. That's all. That's about all there is. So in Canada, mm-hmm. they can add flavors, they can add different things, and still call it Canadian whiskey. Things are a little bit tighter uh, in America. The for bourbon, it has to be at least fifty one percent corn. In order for it to be straight, and there's more to it than that, other than just 51%, it also has to be, uh, only water is added if you if you proof it down, meaning you take it out of the barrel and it's a higher proof than you want. The only thing you can thin it out with is water. Um, there are a couple of proof things. It, can, it can't go into the barrel at any higher than 80 proof, and it can't be higher than 160 off the still. It has to be made in the USA, and then it has to be stored in a new charred oak container. It has to be all mm. those things in order to be a bourbon in in America. So it has to be a new charred a new charred oak mm-hmm. oak container. Exactly, it has to be new. But do yeah. they have to use new barrels every single time? They do. They do. Mm-hmm. And there, there's okay. a Michter's whiskey mm. that you'll see on the shelf. Um, it is kind of on the on the the label, it's blue and red, and it says right on it, it's American whiskey. The reason they have to call it mm-hmm. that is it's still their bourbon recipe. It's still 51% corn. They use all the right proofing, but they used used barrels instead of brand new barrels, so they can't call it bourbon. But instead, hmm. they call it American whiskey. I wow. mean, it's still very much a bourbon product. But if, yeah, th- and that's why mm-hmm. you have to look at those labels carefully. Uh, if you're going to call it bourbon, it has to meet all of those characteristics. If it doesn't, you have to just call it whiskey or you have to call it whatever based on um, the mash bill. If it's a 51% rye, you have to call it rye whiskey. Now, there's another term you'll see on the labels, and that's straight. Straight bourbon whiskey. In order mm-hmm. to call it straight bourbon yeah. whiskey, it has yeah, yeah. to be aged at, at least two years in order to pick up that straight. So that also tells you, if it doesn't say straight bourbon whiskey, it just says bourbon whiskey, they might have just poured it in the barrel and poured it right back out. Because there's no <laughs> age, unless it has age on it. So two of our Yeah, two years to be called tonight. a straight. Oh, no, I was saying two of, two of the bottles that we have say straight bourbon, and one does not. The Heaven Hills okay. does not say straight bourbon on it. So that's interesting. Which is interesting But it does have the six-year on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that's a good point, Michael. If if, um, if it says straight, you can pretty much know it's probably just a two-year-old bourbon. If it's more than that, they're mm-hmm. going to put that on the label because, you know, everybody thinks older bourbon tastes oh. better, so they'll higher the age. Yeah, the longer it's in the barrel, the more flavors it picks up. And, of course, once you start adding higher, higher numbers on those bottles... Um, you start aging something longer, um, there's a perception that it's going to be better and people are going to pay more for it. Um, mm-hmm. Heaven Hill is mm-hmm. one of the, the Heaven Hill six years, one of those exceptions, and we'll get to that. Heaven Hill six years is kind of a, a different product. But anyway, then the last terminology I wanted to cover before we talk about some other, there's a few here, but the next is bottled in bond. And Alex, I think you mentioned the, the third bourbon that we're going to have in our tasting tonight is Old Granddad Bottled in Bond. 
There you go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in order for something to be bottled in bond, it has to be aged for four years. Uh, it has to be bottled at at least 100 proof, and it has to be made by one distiller in a single season. So the idea behind that gotcha. is it's not you can't blend a, a bunch of different whiskeys together and call it bottled in bond, and it has to be kept in a government-bonded warehouse. So right, okay. you're, it's basically a measure of quality. You know it's been aged at least four years. You know it's been in a bonded warehouse where it's been closely watched. Um, it's going to be bottled at least 100 proof. Um, and a single distiller, single season, that, that's what sets that one apart. Hmm. So other things you're going to see on the label, just to keep in mind, there's another term, uh, just to, so you know what this is uh, about, is called cask strength or barrel proof. That is basically just what you would think that it means. It means that basically you take the, the bourbon out of the barrel and you don't dilute it. You, you uh, go ahead and uh, put that in at the strength that it came out of the barrel. It can be multiple barrels. You can take a whole bunch of them, dump them together, but you don't dilute that, and you go ahead and uh, distill that and bottle it at the strength that it came out of the barrel. Um, one example of that uh, would be something like Wild Turkey Rare Breed. They, uh, they bottle that at 116 proof. Uh, they, bottle, they, they call that a barrel strength. So what, however many barrels they pull together, um, they pull them together, they measure the proof, and then they put it in at cast strength or barrel strength. And let's see, what's the last one? Oh, oh there are a couple more. Single barrel. That, of course, yes. is just like it yes. sounds. Um, and that, that's something interesting that I always like to talk about is you, you go to the liquor store and you see a single barrel product. Um, that is kind of one of those measures though, that people say, oh, gosh, it's got to be a high-quality product because all of these bottles only came out of one barrel. That's probably true. Uh, most distilleries only choose good-tasting barrels to go in their single-barrel uh, lines. But as you can also yeah. imagine, um, if you have a single-barrel whiskey that is really good um, and you go back to the store a year later and you buy that same bottle, it's not going to be the same whiskey, if that makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. It may not be as good. Exactly. Like um, one, one example I like to use uh, when we talk about um, that, that single-barrel uh, thing is... Um, Henry McKenna is a single mm-hmm. barrel product made by Heaven Hill. And in 2019, mm-hmm. it won the uh, San Francisco Spirits Competition as Best Spirit of the Year, Best Whiskey of the Year, Best Bourbon of the Year. I mean, it was the best thing going. So everybody mm-hmm. freaked out and all, everybody ran out and tried to get their hands on bottles of Henry McKenna. And of course, <laughs> it's probably not the same one that they tasted in San Francisco. Yep, right. Not that it isn't. Not that it isn't a great product. Uh, the McKenna that I have is very good, but it is likely yeah. not the one that won the competition, if that makes sense. so Yeah, right. yeah. I, I had a bottle of McKenna as well, and it was also very good. But definitely, like, I went and read, after our last podcast, I went and read the profile of the one that won. Uh, and yeah. I was like, yeah, it doesn't entirely match what I had. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's the good and bad of single barrels. Um, and, and I think the single barrel products are typically very, very good products. And something for you to keep in mind, too, then, when you go to your store, you see a single barrel product. Also look at it real carefully and see if it's one that was chosen by the store. A lot of uh, big stores, uh, Depths and Party Source and others up here in Indiana, will send a team of people uh, to the distillery, and they will pick barrels and then those will be bottled and brought back to the store. So the flavor profiles are ones that you know people have picked for their particular stores. So um, single barrel mm-hmm. store picks are you know something to also keep in mind. Um, 
I like to talk about the single barrel uh, store pick that uh, that the local store here um, that I go to um, did a couple of years ago. They went down to Knob Creek and uh, they did a single barrel pick there of about a 14-year-old whiskey. And the guys that they typically send down there are these, these big-time bourbon aficionados that have worked for the store for 20 years. And they did this barrel pick of this Knob Creek, and they were so excited about it. And I went to the store, and they talked me into buying a bottle of it. And I have to tell you, I did not like it at all. Mm-hmm. These guys, I mm-hmm. tend to have a different palate than I do. They Maybe they like older, woodier things, but I didn't like this at all. So about a year later, um, some of these guys got sick, weren't able to go, and they sent a completely different team of some younger people, people that didn't have as much experience, maybe weren't as big a, a, aficionados. They went to uh, Old Forester. And um, mm-hmm. Alex, you're familiar with this because I gave you a bottle of this because I thought it was so good. So they send a group of people down is. there. Oh, my gosh. They picked probably one of the best bourbons I've ever tasted, uh, an old Forester mm-hmm. single barrel, a uh, hundred proof that I still have a little bit of. And I've added some to my infinity bottle, which I'll talk about what that is here. Yeah. In a minute, but, <laughs> but, you know, that yeah, is, it just shows you. When it comes down to deciding what you're going to like, what you're going to buy at the store, you just have to go taste things. You have to try them. You have to figure out what's good for you. Because even all these expert bourbon guys at the store that I go to said, gosh, this is so good. When I tasted it, it just wasn't for me. But then I taste something mm-hmm. else from a different group, and I just like that. So I, it involved, I think in order to figure out what you like, you just got to try a lot of different things. You can listen to the experts, but keep in mind their palate's going to be different from yours. You just got to find what works for you. And that's why we're going to do a tasting together tonight. So what was the thing mm-hmm. I said I was going to cover again? I've forgotten it already. The we'll Infinity Stones? The Infinity Bottle. No. Yes. No. The, Inf- the mystical, magical infinity bottle. <laughs> <Okay>. The <mystical laughs> bottle that never empties of bourbon. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I found out about this concept a couple of years ago. Um, basically, an infinity bottle is you, you kind of start it with um, whatever it is you want to kind of to be the base. You pick a bottle and you add a couple of ounces to it. And then as you buy new bottles, as you find things that you like, you save the last couple of ounces and you put that in there. And you keep adding to it the things that you like, blending together all of your favorite flavors that hopefully in the end, as it gets more full, it takes all your favorite stuff about all these different bourbons and blends them together into something very special. So that's the idea behind an infinity bottle. Last time I had talked about, uh, I mean, you had mentioned that you gave me um, a bottle of that old Forester and I really enjoyed it. So I added it to my Infinity Bottle that I started after you had told me about that. Uh, This time I'll actually show you. This is my Infinity Bottle. Oh, Oh, is it? (laughs) You notice the Spider-Man. It's a decanter. It's a Spider-Man decanter. That's awesome. Turned into my Infinity Bottle. And that is how much of the old Forester I have left. Um, I'm still holding on to it pretty tight. So as you, I mean, as you taste new things, as you come across something that you really like, just throw a few ounces in there. And just continue to do right. that over time. Build it up and, and keep adding the things that you like to it. And hopefully, um, in the end, you'll have something that's special and something that's unique. Um, real quick, before we move on to anything else, I wanted to mention one other term and term that you might see on the bottle, um, just so we've kind of got all of the terminology straight. Sometimes you're going to see on a bottle it says small batch. And I think, mm-hmm. uh, Michael, you mentioned before that you had some Elijah Craig, right? Yes, yes, Elijah I do. Craig is one of those bourbons that they like to put. They put small batch on the label. 
unfortunately, small batch is one of those terms that isn't regulated by um, mm-hmm. any laws such as bottled and bond or straight or anything like that. Small batch may vary greatly depending on the distillery. Um, a distillery like Heaven Hill, when they put small batch on something, that may mean 100 barrels. That may mean 200 barrels. A smaller distillery such as Bardstown Bourbon Company or something, they may say it's small batch and it may be two barrels. So keep in mind, that's not a well-regulated uh, term. It can mean just about anything based on the distillery. And sometimes if you reach out to the distilleries and say, hey, you could tell me how many you typically use, uh, such as the cases of Elijah and Craig or something, they, they will often say how many bottles that they use to set up their small batch. But small batch can mean just about anything. It's not a regulated term at all. So while we're on that, are you ready for me to start talking about all the different distilleries? Or do we? Yes. Is... Yes. Tell us all the right. history. We okay. love it. All right. He flips um, in his large pad of notes. God, we love having prepared guests. It's so awesome. <laughs> well, I can't keep. I can't remember them all. I had to write a few things down just so I didn't leave out somebody. So if there just happens to be somebody that works at a distillery, I don't want them to be mad that I left out their their wonderful products. But right. And you, uh, just to kind of, just kind of ducktail it in, um, after experiencing Woo! our podcast, you've, uh, you've gotten the idea of possibly starting your own bourbon based podcast, right? It's not official yet. It, <laughs> no, it's not official <laughs> yet, but this is a lot of fun. I'm, I'm enjoying talking about bourbon, um, we're going to do a tasting here in just a little bit that I think is also a good time. It, it would be a lot of fun to kind of just pick a, a new bourbon a week and do a tasting, do some comparisons, um, talk about the history of it, mash bill, things Have like guests that. I think on that would be and, fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Having guests on and like connecting with people and talking about their palates versus yours. You said something last time um, that I found really interesting. It was that, uh, and I didn't know this, that are like they've done studies like medical studies into our taste buds and our palates and it's actually mm-hmm. a genetic thing so everybody's palate is genetically different mm-hmm. from somebody else's exactly so that can affect yeah. how a bourbon tastes to you as well oh d- definitely yeah and i think we're 23 and me and um ancestry a lot of these places are starting to include questions in their DNA profiles to start sorting some of that out. Because I don't know if you guys know Mm -hmm. of anybody who doesn't like cilantro. Apparently there's a gene uh, for some people that they taste cilantro, they think it tastes (laughs) like soap. Any any of you guys have that? Or do you Mm -hmm. you all like cilantro? No, I like cilantro. (laughs) Apparently uh, Michael's girlfriend, Jade, seems to think it tastes a little soapy. Not like it at all. (laughs) Yeah, one of my uh, one of my physician partner friend's daughter is exactly the same. As soon as she tastes it, she says it tastes like soap, and so that mm-hmm. is a definite mm-hmm. um, a definite genetic thing. And there are a lot of people um, who have these different bitterness receptors on their tongues. Some people, it, you'll, if you talk to people who like whiskey, you're going to find some people mm-hmm. who love bourbon. And if oh, yeah. you ask about scotch, you're going to occasionally run across somebody who says, "I can't stand scotch, but I love bourbon." These are going to be some of those people that have some genetic receptors in their tongue that are just there, that are aversive to the phenols and the peats and the smoke flavors in some of those bourbons. Because mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. definitely know some people that love whiskey, but as soon as you put scotch in front of them, they absolutely can't stand it. So there are some definitely some genetic yeah. variations to what we all like. Yeah, and that's what makes like bourbon tastings like so interesting, just because. 
like everybody's going to taste something different. And that's why it's like, mm-hmm. there's no wrong answer to whatever you're tasting. Exactly. It's like, whatever you're tasting is what you're tasting. You're right. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. To kind of, uh, I, to ducktail another thing, I guess, um, something that we, we didn't mention at the beginning, which we did mention last time is, um, Steve, you're actually the father of my girlfriend, Chloe, um, who has uh, been on the podcast an, a number of times, mm-hmm. an avid listener, uh, and she's actually going to be next month's guest as well, so she'll be back on the podcast next month. Um, but to kind of tie into what you were saying about um, there's some people who like certain kind of uh, whiskeys and not others, mm-hmm. Chloe will like sit down and like drink bourbon with us. But then if you hand her gin, she's like, nope. she like won't yeah. have it. Gin is, yeah, gin is not her favorite. Gin is jet fuel. Let's, let's not get that confused. So, uh. See, I think gin it tastes flowery. It's vodka that you've just thrown a bunch of botanicals in. That's really all gin is. Um, <laughs> most of the most nice. common botanical are <laughs> juniper the juniper berries, that's what most people taste. Yeah. I think it I think gin kind of tastes mm. like you're licking a Christmas tree. That's what I think it tastes like. So. <laughs> But, you know, if it's in the the right cocktail with the right stuff, it's still pretty good. Mm -hmm. So if any of you get the chance, I highly recommend, (laughs) if you are a bourbon fan, to consider visiting some distilleries. Um, Last January, I uh, had a good time, met a a good friend from college, and we spent about a week down there visiting a lot of different distilleries, doing tastings. And uh, that is a great way to kind of get an idea of what you might like. what kinds oh, of yeah. bourbons mm-hmm. you might like. Then maybe you will have an affinity for one, uh, the flavor of one distillery over another, because there are definitely some distinct notes and some distinct differences in the way all the distilleries make uh, their bourbons, their, where their rickhouses are, their mash bill, the type of yeast they have. All of that is going to give them all different flavors. So um, I, had, I went to Buffalo Trace when I was down there. Uh, I went to, uh, we went to Beam. Uh, we went to Bardstown Bourbon Company, we visited Heaven Hill, we visited Luxco, and Four Roses. Those are the ones that I went to. So some of those are bigger distilleries. Heaven Hill has a large number of bourbon whiskeys. We mentioned uh, Elijah Craig already. Um, McKenna is one that we've talked about. Um, Evan Williams is one of their um, famous ones. Um, and tonight we're going to do their Heaven Hill six-year which is a Kentucky-only mm-hmm. bourbon. You guys, All of you who are from Kentucky have seen that on the shelf, but if you come up to Indiana, you will not see that bourbon, particularly that Heaven Hill six-year. That is a Kentucky-only product. And there are, yeah. I've heard some yeah, theories. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it really is. I've heard theories yeah. about why that's the case. Um, it, it's, and the other thing that's, I think, remarkable about this bourbon is it's a six-year product, and it's about $15. I mean, you don't yeah. see that in in a lot of liquor stores. If you're going to see something that old, you're going to pay forty or fifty dollars a bottle for it. So it's an interesting it's an interesting product. It's a low it's a low rye. That's that's another thing that we need to talk about real quick. Even though it's bourbon, it's fifty one percent corn. There's still forty nine percent of other grains in there. So most of the time, people will add rye in there. They'll add malted barley. They'll add regular barley, and in some cases, they'll add wheat. And when you add wheat, uh, some in most cases, they don't also add the rye. So it gives a lot of different flavors. So even though Heaven Hill, I just mentioned five or six different bourbons, most of them are going to have a different mash bill. They're going to have higher or lower rye. Um, in some cases, they're going to have a weeded uh, product, such as Larceny or Old Fitzgerald. 
Um, those are both ones that don't have any rye, but they replace the rye with wheat. And just a completely different flavor, as we'll see later when we do our tasting. Larceny, interesting product, as we mentioned before, um, named after mm-hmm. um, John Fitzgerald. Well, old Fitzgerald's also named after the same guy, but he was an FBI agent who was uh, commissioned with keeping an eye on all of those uh, rick houses full of barrels of bourbon during the bro- Prohibition. And apparently was quite a bourbon aficionado himself as he would sneak barrels, <laughs> his favorite barrels, out of there and sell them to people. Thus the name Larceny. <laughs> they named that, that bourbon after what he was doing uh, during the Prohibition. So anyway, the, Heaven Hill. That, that's, I think we've covered some of their things, and we'll be tasting one of those later. Um, Buffalo Trace is another very, very popular distillery. Everybody wants to go there. And anybody who is a bourbon aficionado has heard of Pappy Van Winkle because everybody tries to get it and nobody can. Um, It is a weeded bourbon out of Buffalo Trace. Uh, Originally was out of Stitzel Weller in Louisville, but uh, Buffalo Trace bought their stocks and now they are uh, releasing the Pappy Van Winkle. Um, They also have some very... um, some very popular bourbons, Blanton's. Uh, if you've tried to get Blanton's and know how hard that is to get, it's very popular. It's more on their um, rye mash bill. And I don't know, um, how about Weller? Have you guys ever had Weller bourbon, anybody? Um, oh, yeah. On the podcast here tonight? Nope. Yeah. One of well, my one favorites. Of the reasons, one of the reasons you've maybe never had Weller is you can't find it. Um, the, uh-uh. And it's gotten extremely, <laughs> extremely popular, extremely hard to find because people have figured out that the best Weller barrels are the ones that go on to become Pappy Van Winkle. Everybody thinks, oh gosh, well then if that's the next best thing, next best thing to Pappy, I'll just buy a bunch of Weller. So that those products have also dried up. So a lot of the Buffalo Trace stuff, because it's just so desirable, is very hard to find, very hard to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to kind of jump on Weller while we're talking about it. Um, yeah. We've talked about kind of the famous liquor stores around here, one of those being Depp's. Uh, and mm-hmm. walking into Depp's, uh, they have a thing called um, Pappy Birthday. It's a <laughs> contest that goes on. Yep. And basically how it works is every day of the month that you were born, you can enter in uh, a drawing to win the chance to buy a, uh, a bottle of Pappy's. And they do a drawing every month, and whoever wins gets to buy the, the bottle. Uh, my birthday's next month, and I do plan on going there every single day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know exactly what bottle of Pappies it is, what the year is, but uh, from what I know, at the end of each month, usually there are three or four pieces of paper in that box, and if there are 29 of them, uh, or 28 on certain years, mm-hmm. then... Chances seem pretty good. <laughs> so here's the big question then. Okay, so you get one of those bottles of Pappy. Are you gonna Are you gonna drink it or are you gonna sell it? Because that stuff on the secondary market's crazy. Oh, money. drink it, of course. Oh, of course. Good. Okay. Probably drink it. Yeah. Good, good answer. Well, I think we had just switched over to talking about Brown Foreman. Um, they are. Okay. They're the distillery who does, or they're they're the over. Um, the, the company that's over the distilleries that does uh, Woodford, Jack Daniels, um, Early Times, Old Forester. And while we're on mm. that, Jack Daniels, um, a different 
than just bourbon. I don't uh, know. If, have you ever heard of something called Tennessee whiskey out there? Um, mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. mm-hmm. it is it is one more level beyond bourbon. Um, it In order to be called Tennessee whiskey, it has to meet all of the criteria for bourbon. And then they have another process they go through where they... They dump the barrels through uh, charcoal. It's a charcoal filtering process. Once mm-hmm. it's gone through that, um, then you can call it Tennessee whiskey. So mm-hmm. Jack Daniels, and there's uh, also a, uh, a whiskey called Dickel, George Dickel. Uh, that's mm-hmm. another Tennessee mm-hmm. whiskey. It also has to be made in Tennessee. That's the other difference between that. So Gotcha, gotcha, um, gotcha. Yeah, I've got, I've got two bottles of Dickel right now. And I'm just slowly making my way through them, and they're so good. Yes. The, uh, do you have, which ones do you have? I've got two blue labels. Ah, okay. So that's a bottled in bond. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd have to look at it. Sorry about the barking dog. Um, <laughs> that's okay. That, that bottled in bond blue label, I think, is a 10 year whiskey, if mm-hmm. I remember right. Yes. And it won. Whiskey Advocate Magazine, by the way, there are several magazines out there that are just dedicated to whiskey. Um, and there's one just dedicated to bourbon. It's called Bourbon Plus, and it's put together <laughs> by a bourbon writer out of Louisville by the name of Fred Minnick and his crew put that together. Whiskey Advocate is, uh, they talk about scotch and Irish whiskey, Canadian whiskey, and uh, bourbon as well. Um, but they picked uh, George Dickel Blue, Blue Label 10-year as their whiskey of the year in, I think it was 2018 or 2019. So I think it's you've got some good stuff there. Yeah. yeah, no, I think it's 2019 because my dad... My dad is the one who introduced me to bourbon uh, at the young age of 21. Uh, and uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and like he's a big bourbon aficionado and goes nuts and all that. And so he's constantly in the loop of what is getting awarded, what is winning all of these, like what, what, what are like the highly decorated bourbons. And he's always trying to find, find and get a hold of them before, before uh, what happened to Weller happens to them. <laughs> oh, yeah, good idea. Now, and he's mm-hmm. an aficionado for sure, but yeah. The, uh, yeah, and I think that is that is a real key. Uh, bourbon is having a moment for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, it is, uh, it's crazy, uh, crazy popular right now. And as soon as a writer such as Minnick or somebody, Whiskey Advocate Magazine, talks about how good something is, it becomes impossible to find. Everybody's <laughs> got to have it. Um, and sometimes I'm glad that we got around to this again because uh, last time that we recorded this episode, rest in peace, uh, oh great audio recording. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we talked about I I I challenged you to tell us what you thought the next big bourbon was going to be mm-hmm. um, because I if I would consider anyone an expert in bourbon, it would clearly be you because I invited you on the podcast to talk about it. Um, so again, I'm once again asking <laughs> for uh, your whiskey help. <laughs> I'm once again asking uh, what you think the next big bourbon is either going to be or should be from your expertise. Okay. No, I'm happy to uh, talk about, can I say more than one? Oh, yeah. Just tell us what, if if we were smart men, which we are not, (laughs) what we should go out and buy. Sure. No, absolutely. Um, I think one of the most underrated best values out there right now that I have uh, found in my uh, my own tastings uh, that is very, very good, is uh, it's a wild turkey product, another of the uh, venerable uh, bourbon distilleries, wild turkey's rare breed. Uh, it is a barrel-proof product. Uh, it's about 116 proof. I think it is complex. It is delicious. It has an amazing finish. 
And I think if more people knew how good it was, you wouldn't see it on the shelf. But I think if any of you walked into any liquor store uh, anywhere in America right now, you'd probably see it on the shelf. But it is an extremely high-quality product. um, And um, in my own uh, blind tastings, it has won against some very, very expensive um, and and very um, cherished whiskeys out there. it's, It's... I, I have a system in my house. Down in my basement, I have a bar, and I have a cabinet down there with a, a bunch of whiskey bottles, the number I don't even wish to admit, um, but it's a large number. <laughs> it's a large that number that it, it is, a, we'll just say it's a three-figure number, but um, what I do is I, I rotate bottles from the basement upstairs, and I keep them on a shelf upstairs, and if I like it, it tends to stay upstairs for a while. If I don't, I run it downstairs, I bring a different bottle up, and um, Rare Breed's been on my top shelf for a long time. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. that good. So um, another, some other products that I think um, that are underrated that you will typically find on a lot of shelves, um, I think Knob Creek products are underrated. Um, they have a lot of different oh, yeah. um, products on the shelf. Um, they have a small batch. They have a rye. They have several different age um, statement products out there. And I believe Whiskey Advocate Magazine picked their 12-year as maybe their second best whiskey of the year in 2020. Um, and so I think Knob Creek's one that's overlooked. You don't hear people talk about it. You never see it not on the shelf. You don't see it winning a lot of taste-offs, but it is. I think it's an excellent product. Um, it's a high rye, but it has a very cornbread taste to it. I, I like it. Um, I like it in cocktails. I think it makes a very good mixer as well. Um, and yeah. I think uh, when another one I'll mention just as a distillery in general and not any specific of their products, but I've been very, very impressed with Michter's. Uh, Michter's is an old pen, uh, Pennsylvania distillery, um, but it re, hmm. it, they've reopened it in Louisville. Um, they, for a while, were just sourcing their products because they were starting up, but they're starting to release some of their own whiskeys. And I like a lot of the Michter's products. Um, and I have a Michter's 10-year, which um, I understand was probably sourced from maybe MGP, a distillery in Indiana, because Michter's hadn't been restarted yet for 10 years. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, that 10-year product was very good. But all of the products that they're bringing to the market right now are solid, very good whiskeys. I recommend if you ever find yourself in Louisville and are looking for a place to stop and do a tasting, I really like a lot of the Michter's products too. So... There you go. Rare Breed is, would be my first choice. If you go into a liquor store, you're looking for something different, you're looking for something complex and just delicious that you're likely to find, it's probably in that $40 to $50 range. I would recommend that. If you want to go a little older, you want to spend a little bit of money, and you can find a Knob Creek 15-year, you can find a Knob Creek 12-year, highly recommend that. And really just mm-hmm. explore the Michter's products. There's a lot of them out there. Their small batch is very good. They have um, some toasted uh, barrel finishes that are very good. Um, they have one that I mentioned earlier um, is just labeled as whiskey. The reason it's just labeled as whiskey and not bourbon is because they age it in used bourbon barrels. So it's got a little bit, uh, maybe doesn't have as much of a bite, doesn't have as much of the woody flavor. Maybe somebody who's just starting out, if you're listening tonight and or today and you've never really tried bourbon and you're looking for a good place to start, that Michter's product um, that's just labeled um, American whiskey, that's maybe a good place to start. Um, it's a very, hmm. I, we hesitate using that smooth word, but it's one that right. you would describe as mm-hmm. kind of having a smooth <laughs> feeling to it, not real bitter, not real strong, not, uh, would be a good starter place. 
uh, talking about age, which is which is something that we did before, mm-hmm. uh, Michael. Actually, you go ahead and go, and I'll pick back up on this thought when you're done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a type of like, I, I, there was a type of whiskey in uh, that we had talked about in the last session that we didn't really talk about too much. This time was the mm-hmm. the white mm. dog, um, and how like that is what what I'm. I have a really really bad memory. So please catch me if I say something dumb or wrong. Um, white dog is what comes out of the distillery before it is aged in the barrels, right? It's what comes off the still, yeah. So after after you've taken yes, your okay. grains and you've mashed them together and you've cooked them, then you add the yeast, and then that is that part, or the mash, is then what you distill. The what comes mm-hmm. right off of the still at the next point they call white dog, right? And I, you can mm-hmm. most of the distilleries will sell some version of that product, um, and most of them will call it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll call it a white dog type of a product. And, uh, a distillery that's fairly new in the Cincinnati area, just over the border from Cincinnati, called New Rift Distillery. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. When I first mm-hmm. visited there, uh, I was very excited. Brand new distillery, not very far away, close to where my daughter lives. She used to live mm-hmm. about a mile away over in Bellevue. Um, I would go visit there, and you could buy... They made some gins. They made some other products as well. And you could buy the White Dog. Um, a couple of years before they had aged something long enough to, to have bourbon. And they didn't really start releasing their bourbon until it had been in the barrel at least a couple of years, because I think they wanted to release a product they could call straight bourbon. So once mm-hmm. it had been uh, in the barrels a couple of years, they started releasing those products. But yeah, you could buy the White Dog um, from the very beginning, because that was just coming right off the still. Uh, you could throw it in a bottle. And, you know, I actually found that it wasn't that bad, if, especially if you put it in a, in a mm. in with some Coke, you know, call it a bourbon and Coke or something like that. Well, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't a, a bad product, <laughs> certainly not complex or woody or had anything uh, super flavorful, mm. but, uh, but, you know, not, not half bad. It was still, it was kind of a fun experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, from what I remember when I went to the Willet distillery, um, they gave us multiple different kinds of white dog from different mash builds that they were trying out, uh, for different products. And one of the things that I found really interesting is because it's not aged, uh, you, that is like the gold standard for like what defines the, the, the base flavor of the bourbon, because you are completely missing any of the variables of, the uh the barrel how like it's char where it's stored um and all that it's just straight what comes off uh from the mash build and it's really interesting just how complex they like how subtly complex they can be because when you have one of these guys pointing out the different flavors they will point out like okay in this one we were going for more of like a slightly like almost sweet like berry flavor or in this one we wanted more floral um and it's like they basically, if I remember right, uh, with all of them, you get it in the type of glass that you have. Yeah, it's called a Glencairn, Glencairn uh, glass. Yeah, yeah. They would serve them all in a Glencairn, and they'd put like a drop or two of mm-hmm. water in to mm-hmm. open the flavor up. 
And that's when you can really start getting all of those more complex. What's really cool about that are these people who are doing this um, and have these incredibly trained and amazing palates can tell these just tiny little variations in flavor. And they know that if they find this tiny variation in flavor here, that once it's in the barrel, it's going to change to this kind of flavor. And so they know exactly what they're looking for at each step in the process, because then they're going to go out, you know, and they're going to li- they're going to taste that barrel in a year, and they're going to note the changes. And oh, I, I wish we'd done this or this different. And so some of these master distillers just have incredible palates. Um, one of the ones that I I, I admire is a uh, a lady named Jackie Zyken. She is a uh, she's the master distiller for Old Forester. And I read a, an interview with her once that um, she has trained her palate so very well that apparently you can put five different um, brands of vodka in front of her and not tell her what they are. And she can tell you the difference between one to the other, which is amazing to me because all vodka tastes exactly the same to me. I don't notice any differences. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, they, I mean, the, 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 these amazing master distillers that have these incredible palates know exactly what they're looking for at each step of the way. And then they, they taste the barrels as they're coming along. They know whether it's time to pull them, time to leave them. Um, it, it, it's an incredible science. And, you know, sometimes I have to say, I wish I had that job. That sounds like a lot of yeah. fun. I don't have a good enough a palate to do what they do, but uh, what they do is uh, is amazing. And also on that note, you mentioned age. We, we, we haven't talked about age yet. Um, age is something mm-hmm. you'll see on the bottles too, and that, that's an important thing to take a look at. Um, the age of the bourbon, depending on which barrels you've used, you can only put the age on the bottle that the youngest barrel um yeah, the youngest the barrel is, that's what you can say. So say you take a mm-hmm. bunch of 10-year-old barrels, a bunch of 12-year-old barrels, a bunch of 15-year-old barrels, you can only say it's 10-year. Uh, so you can only put right. on the bar- on the bottle. So it, it may be true that you're, you're drinking a 10-year-old whiskey, but it may have things much older than that mixed in there, blended in there to add some flavors. I know that Wild Turkey has done that. I have a uh, a bottle of their Decades, which is says that it's ten year, but then I read about it, and they actually use some twelve and fifteen year whiskeys to add some complexity to it. But they can only label it as a ten. Um, so that's another thing just you, to keep in mind. You had an interesting antidote last time. Uh, you told us of your experience after doing a bourbon tasting, um, where you actually kind of splurged and. I believe you tried Pappy 25 year. Yeah, 23. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 23. Yeah. And you had told us kind of uh, the difference in age and where that sweet spot in age is. If you want to go into that antidote, that'd be oh, awesome. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, and, I love that story. It's going to be different for everybody, but I definitely found that there was, there was a sweet spot for me. Um, but yes, when I went on the Bourbon Trail, I, I visited a bar in downtown Louisville and I just had to splurge and try some Pappy Van Winkle. So I spent my $75 for my one pour, of, and, and I went for the gusto and went for the one that everybody talks about as being the most important, and that's that Pappy Van Winkle 23-year, which is the oldest of their expressions. They have a uh, they have a 10-year that's called Old Rip Van Winkle, then they have a 15 and a 20, and then a 23-year. And that, that the older it is, the more valuable it's considered to be in most whiskeys. But I have to say, in bourbon, that maybe isn't the way that it should be, but at least for me. Because I tried that 23 uh, year, and it just tasted like wood. I mean, to me, it felt like I was just licking the side Mm -hmm. of a barrel. Uh, Very, very woody. um, Didn't really taste that complex. It just tasted bitter. 
I did not enjoy that at all. And so I was kind of very disappointed, first of all, that I had spent that much money on a pour of something that I didn't enjoy. <laughs> so we had a few other things. And uh, a little bit later, uh, we had a very uh, magnanimous and wonderful bartender who was uh, helping us that night. And uh, a little bit later, there was a, a glass sitting in front of me. And uh, I, he walked back over and I said, what's that? I, I, I don't remember ordering anything else. He said, just try it. So um, I tasted and just an absolutely incredible, some of the best bourbon I've ever tasted. And he came back over and said, that's the 15-year. And for me, that in that particular product, that was exactly, you know, the, the right age for that one. Um, but I've, I've found that over the years, as I've tasted a lot of different things, a sweet spot for me for a very complex and very good whiskey tends to be at about that 10 to 12-year range. Typically, if it gets over that, it just starts tasting too woody uh, for me. And I read an interview with Jimmy Russell, who was the master distiller at Wild Turkey for many, many years. Uh, someone who anybody who is really uh, into bourbon will have, heard, will have heard of his name. His um, son, Jimmy Russell, um, I believe it's Jimmy Russell Jr., uh, is now the master distiller at Wild Turkey. But uh, he said the same thing was true for him. Um, he found that about 10 to 12 years was kind of that sweet spot. But that was that was where he found bourbons tasted the best. They started getting too woody for him at that at that age. And I, I totally agree with that. But everybody's going to be a little bit different on that. Um, you're going to taste different things at different places. And for me, that was kind of right in the middle of where I think some of the best whiskeys are. And there are some two- and four-year whiskeys uh, out there that are just absolutely fantastic. But you just got to taste them. You have to try them. You have to taste all the different brands. You have yeah. to you have to try the different mash bills and, and find it is and find what it is you like. Um, Four Roses is a very interesting company. They have a lot of different mash bills. They have a lot mm -hmm. of different yeasts. They have some single barrels that are a high rye. They have some single barrels that are lower rye. And then they blend a bunch of them together for different products and. Um, they're very transparent about if you buy this particular thing, it's going to have these mash bills, these different things in it. And uh, I think that's another one that uh, people should try. The Luxco products are all very good. Ezra, um, Old Ezra, Ezra Brooks, uh, Rebel Yell, Yellowstone. Rebel Yell is a weeded product, also very, very good. And then something else um, I wanted to mention, there's a company called Barrel Bourbon. And this is kind of a new thing going on in bourbon right now. This company does not distill any bourbon. They just go source barrels from a lot of different places. And they have these incredible tasters, master distillers, that know just exactly what they're looking for. They go to one place, they taste a barrel and say, oh, this would taste very good when blended with that other barrel from this different place. And so about every six months, they have a new batch. And those batches are barrels from a lot of different sources. Um, Indiana, t uh, Tennessee, um, Kentucky barrels, they'll put them together. And their, I, their bourbon is some of the best out there. You really have to spend about $100 for a bottle of theirs, but they are master blenders. And if you're looking for um, some really good um, products, they have also won a lot of tastings uh, out there. So that's just another one I wanted to mention. Completely different than what we're typically talking about. They're not distilling, they're not doing anything, but just going out and finding some amazing tasting bourbons and blending them together. So there are some blenders out there doing some amazing stuff too. So, do you want to move on to our tasting? Oh yes. Okay. Sure. It's it's well, it's uh, the I'm it's the magical time of the night. Well, last time we sampled 
three bourbons, um, but we've actually kind of changed it up this time, uh, just so that you still have that fresh, uh, fresh new uh, taste in your mouth, um, and so that our listeners have kind of a fresh new take, and uh, we're, we're just not kind of preemptively regurgitating information from last time we recorded. Um, we actually are trying the Heaven Hills tonight, whereas last time we tried the Jim Beam single barrel, mm-hmm. um, yes. which is probably a better idea anyway, because, I mean, later we, I mean, at least I got to think, and I was like, you know what, if we sampled single barrels, that means that the three of us had a certain uh, bourbon, and Steve <laughs> yeah. had a different one. Yep, that's right. Is, and yeah. anyone, anyone who went to go try it with us got, got, got a their own version. Well. Exactly so right. So tonight we are trying, we're trying the Heaven Hill six year. If you are uh, from far away, I know that we have some listeners... Um, in LA for some reason who probably <laughs> in Sweden uh, in Germany and a couple in Norway and, too. <laughs> there you go. Um, so all the people who are listening from there, hi, uh, guten tag and so on and so <laughs> forth. It might be a little bit harder to get your hands on, uh, heaven Hills six year, yeah. but would they do sell it online? I know that. But if you're not able to do that, um, Google, um, and look up Bourbons with a low rye mash bill. What were what Heaven Hills um, six year? I believe has a rye content of ten percent. Um, so, so look for something that has a similar low rye content because as our we set up our tasting tonight, we wanted to try three things that are basically different types of bourbons, different mash bills. This Heaven Hill six year is fifty one percent corn, and then that ten percent is rye. Um, the others are the other percentage would be uh, barley. The uh, Old Granddad, bottled in bond, is a higher rye content, about 23%, I believe. And then the Maker's Mark has no rye in it. The alternative grain in it is wheat. And so they're just, they're, they're, they're three different tasting bourbons, as we'll find out here tonight. So, But if you're not able to get your hands on Heaven Hill Six Year, look for something like a Jim Beam um, single barrel. Uh, look for something that has that low rye content and uh, about 10%, and you'll have something that at least is in the ballpark of what we're tasting here tonight. So... All right, and if I prefer a Glencairn glass, because if, if you don't know what a Glencairn is, again, go on Google and take a look at that. It has a very specific shape, uh, named mm-hmm. after a province in Scotland where people like to taste a lot of whiskey, particularly Scotch whiskey. So it has a very special um, shape. It um, it has kind of a bulb at the bottom. It's very good for nosing um, the whiskey as, and you, as you swish it around and look for those legs. Anybody, everybody know what legs are? Basically, as you swish and, and swirl mm-hmm. your bourbon around, then look at the side of the glass after it's gone back down, and you'll notice um, some very um, specific types of um, uh, the way that the liquid sticks to the side of the glass that almost looks like little traces or little legs or uh, little appendages. That's, that's one of the things a lot of people like to do is they, they get a, a feel for how viscous the bourbon is as to how long the legs last and how many there are of each one. So swirl it around, get a look at it, note the color. Uh, most bourbons will have kind of a light amber to a very dark amber color, um, typically related to how long it's in the barrel. Um, the longer mm-hmm. it's in the barrel, it'll pick up more of the color. But I don't know if you've noticed, uh, Alex, specifically that old Forester um, single barrel barrel pick that you and I have that is a very dark yeah. bourbon and I believe yeah, that is. that was yeah. only about a six year um, so 
something kind of oh. special about that barrel for sure. Um, on our definitely... special little list here, I would note it as a mahogany. <laughs> Yo, very good. Okay, so yes, if if uh, for those of you uh, playing at home, there are a lot of different yeah. places you can look for uh, tasting wheels. Most of them will have um, all of the typical notes that we note uh, as we're tasting bourbon. Um, there are different parts of the wheel. We'll talk about different floral, different nutty, um, different kind of sugar content and so forth. And I believe, Alex, last time... You were telling me about a, a tasting journal. I, uh, tell us more about that. Yeah, so I actually do have, and I did mention this last time, as a gift for you for coming on our podcast, I have a tasting journal uh, for you as well, which is going to be the same as uh, us three amateur tasters here are going off of tonight, uh, Nick, Michael, and myself, uh, just to kind of help give note as to what we're talking about. Uh, I know that you already have like a full tasting kit that you've gotten and doing your many uh, bourbon trail visits. I did. Um, and yeah, I got that at uh, Woodford when I was there. I did a very, I, yeah. we did a special tasting where we paid a little bit extra and they took us in a room and like, they gave us access to uh, master distillers, gave us all tasting wheels and, and whiskeys from different places in the rickhouses. It was an amazing experience. So yes, I think I'm using the Woodford Reserve tasting wheel. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go through a couple of the terms that were given in this tasting journal uh, to kind of give people an idea of what we're talking about as we're talking about it. Um, so to start off, the first thing that we're going to be talking about are kind of the three phases of the tasting that we go into, uh, which is the nose, which is the aroma of the bourbon. Usually after you swirl it and check the legs, uh, you'll nose it, which is just take a good old smell of it and kind of list off things that you're smelling. Uh, as Michael had said at the beginning, uh, it's kind of up to you. You can smell really whatever you smell. You're not wrong in what you smell. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a part of the tasting yep. experience. Smell, mm -hmm. taste, this yeah, is, yeah. It's all your exactly. own personal right. journey. That's our that's our bourbon guru, Michael, uh, chiming in <laughs> with. <laughs> uh, and then the second term uh, is palate, which is after you've taken a small sip of it and spread it across your taste buds, some of the things that immediately on contact you're noticing. Um, this is usually the step where you feel the uh, Kentucky hug, mm -hmm. as Steve has introduced me to that term being <laughs> that uh, instinctive like heat and kind of feel that you get when you first take that uh, sip of bourbon. It's important to note that when, uh, when doing bourbon tastings, it's less of a shot and more of uh, you really only want to get enough that it covers your tongue. Um, you don't want to like sh take a shot of it back real quick. Um, you want to be there for the full experience, uh, and that's kind of the palate phase. Uh, our last phase that we go over is the finish, which is uh, the residual flavor experienced once the bourbon is consumed. So once we have swallowed the bourbon, what is left over in our mouth, that is the finish of the bourbon. Uh, and we'll go through that as well. Um, some other terms are the body, which is the consistency and immediate physical texture, mouthfeel. So whether it is more uh, kind of uh, viscous or, or not. We already talked about legs. Um, and then after that, this kind of goes into more of the uh, taste of the flavor wheel that we have. I'll just go ahead and list them off real quick. But again, whatever you taste is right. I know the last time that we did this, we had tastes uh, like... Uh, I think I said pine tree at one point, or we said like bubble gum, or we said like 
there are a bunch of different ones that you can do. Some of the weird ones that they list on here, uh, like for Woody, they say pencil shavings, which is mm -hmm. interesting, but it's still technically right. Um, but here's a quick list. So there is fruity, floral, earthy, smoky, uh, fainty, woody, spicy, whiny, cereally, and sugary. And different things kind of fall under those. It It's really a matter of opinion as to what you think it is. If you taste something that is more like uh, like a barbecue, you might put that under smoky, or you might uh, put that under something else. It really just depends on what it means to you. So uh, what we say will kind of be based off of that flavor wheel, but that's more or less just for us to better talk about the thing that we're tasting. Sure. Um, and Steve some other things I would throw in there too. Um, a lot of people will taste different fruits. Some people will taste mm -hmm. a little cherry, will taste blackberry, um, citrus kind of flavors. Some people taste kind of floral, uh, different things. And another category is spices. Um, some people get mm -hmm. a very distinct cinnamon note or a vanilla note or things like that. So spices and fruits uh, are other ones I'd throw out there as things to kind of keep in mind as you're tasting these. Does it taste like one of those things? And if you taste it, you do. Talk about it. Throw it out there. We want we yeah. want to hear what everybody's tasting. For sure. Um, and you kind of already talked about the, the colors. But on our list, uh, from the lightest to darkest, it goes clear, straw, honey, gold, Amber, caramel, mahogany, and molasses. Okay. Um, if I ever saw a molasses bourbon, I do not think I would drink it. Molasses isn't good. <laughs> Personally. Be good. A good 50 years. It's been sitting. We, we actually lost this, uh, this barrel on the Titanic, but we just got it back out. Hey, now, I've, yeah, I've got a, a, I've got a good alcohol year. question here. What do you call it when you distill molasses and make an alcoholic spirit out of it? Turpentine? No, <laughs> my friends, that is rum. No. That's what rum is. Oh, that's rum. Yeah, rum is Ooh. distilled molasses. Just like, uh, yeah, molasses-like products yeah, are sugarcane. But yeah, molasses and sugarcane products go on to be stilled, uh, distilled to, to become rum. Um, wines that are distilled go on to become brandy. Um, bourbon is cereal grains. And uh, vodkas are a lot of different uh, sources. Can be cereal grains as well as potatoes and things like that. So, What was the, huh. the spirit that... Um, that uh abstinence absinthe what is what is yeah absinthe 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 i don't know yeah. i i was i was raised in the bible belt so i'm brainwashed that's when you don't have alcohol at all it's absinthe absinthe so so what how is absinthe made do you know oh gosh i wish i remember all of the ingredients but i would have to to google that but it, it's a very specific process that you have to follow um, it's got wormwood and some other strange ingredients in it, but uh, Which I is think right. there's yeah. only maybe one distillery in America right now making absinthe. Um, but it's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't know all the ingredients. I'd have to look that up. Yeah, it's it's. I've had it fairly recently. Yeah, me as um, well. We had it at the same time. I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's got this like almost like black mm -hmm. licorice. Um, like very, very, uh, different, like anise, mm -hmm. like slightly anise flavored. Um, yeah. And like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not necessarily bad. No, it sounds pretty bad. Any, unless, <laughs> unless, you, unless Nick is drinking that it. That sounds terrible. I hate it. He likes milk. But it's like white 2% milk. That's right. 
That's as hard as I'll go. <laughs> I think the only time I have had absinthe. Absinthe is a ingredient in the Sazerac cocktail. Is, is anyone out there who's had a Sazerac? Huh. In order to make a Sazerac, no. you have mm. to put a little absinthe in the glass and swish it around and coat the glass with it. Before it's not even like a shot. It's of not absinthe. even an it's amount. Like, it's just it's like just coat the glass coat in the it. Glass and get that shit out of there. But then when you <laughs> taste the sazerac, yeah. touch your mouth. You can definitely taste that licorice that Michael uh, mentioned. But uh, yeah, yeah uh, the main ingredient of sazerac is rye whiskey. Um, I had one of those when I was mm. in New Orleans. But yeah, they 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 rinse it out with absinthe. They rinse the glass out with it before they make it. That's something that we we didn't mention is that bourbon got its name from uh, from. New Orleans. Yes. Um, a, mm-hmm. That was something Nick actually brought oh, yeah, to the was, table. Oh, yeah. I was more referencing uh, the uh, last time with your, your yeah, little the, history the know how. Dynasty in, uh, in France. Um, or a ball. And seeing, seeing all the influence mm-hmm. that New Orleans took from. Because um, it was a French colony. You know, Louisiana gets its name from uh, the French Louis. settling down in that area. So right. they figured, hey, we're going to name this place called Bourbon Street. This is New Orleans. <laughs> Have some bubble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the, the what I've read about why they ended up calling it bourbon and, and why it's so popular in Kentucky is uh, when the distilleries all were getting very popular um, in the early 1900s, and they were all starting to um, ship their products out. They were shipping them straight down the Mississippi River to New Orleans. That was one of their major uh, areas of export out of Kentucky. And they loved the whiskey they were making in Kentucky down there, and they decided to call it that because the, that's what the French were calling it. They thought it tasted mm-hmm. like that, the, the whiskey that was coming out of the Bourbon region. So very cool. And probably um, <laughs> where um, they started charring the barrels. Uh, when we first started making whiskey in America, apparently they, the barrels weren't charred. Um, they would just make the rye whiskey. They would dump it in an oak barrel. They would um, let it sit there, and then they would pour it out and use it. But somewhere along the line, people started charring barrels, and the history is not very clear about why that started. But one of the theories is that the people in New Orleans loved um, the the flavor of a charred barrel, and I guess the French have been charring their barrels for years. Um, Cognac is made in charred barrels. So they started requesting that the folks Mm, in Kentucky mm. who were making the whiskey uh, were charring the barrels. That's at least one theory. Another is that barrels were expensive and they were hard to come by, and so they were reusing barrels over and over again. And like a barrel that had had a bunch of pickles in it, you didn't want your whiskey tasting like pickles, so you would char the inside of it (laughs) Mm -hmm. and char it out and (laughs) scrape it all out. And that's another theory of, of why possibly they started charring barrels and why the whiskey doesn't look clear to this day, why it has the color to it. These the French folks down in New Orleans wanted their barrels charred. Now, Steve, here's a, a quiz question for you. Um, do you know what kind what type of whiskey is called when you take pickle juice and you distill that? What you call that? <laughs> Nasty. <laughs> yeah, gross. That's gross whiskey. <laughs> and you shouldn't drink it. <laughs> That would be some nasty stuff. No, thank you. Yeah. Well, let's let's not leave these people in suspense anymore. Okay. Let's, let's get this bourbon mm-hmm. tasting going. Well, let's start with the uh, the low rye the bourbon that we have here tonight, the Heaven Hill Six Year. Let's start with that one. So everybody swirl, right. and yes. then let's just have everyone do a little bit of nosing, and then say what they're smelling. See what we're getting out of the nose here. Okay, Heaven Hills. Heaven Hills Six Year. Alex, thank you very much. You were very gracious in filling these. No, up I so I purposely filled Michael's as full as I could, <laughs> and purposely filled yeah. Nick's only to the middle. <laughs> I only gave Nick a little bit. Otherwise, I'll never shut up, and I'll probably fall down. 
But yeah, I almost spilled Michael's. That's how full I made his. All right. Yep. No, I I, <laughs> I went to go open it and like it's definitely like splurted out a <laughs> little. It's like a ketchup packet. <laughs> oh, you're good. So give him a swirl, give him a nose, <laughs> yeah. and tell me what you're smelling. What? Look at your 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 Ooh. tasting sheets. What do you think? You go first, Alex. What are you What are you nosing? I'm getting floral, like something Some floral? flowery. Okay. I smell like uh like maybe a bouquet of roses. I'd take it one step further and say it's almost like women's perfume. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. There's definitely That's a lack good. of musk that we've smelled in other ones before. It's very no, this one is smelling. <laughs> yeah, definitely like very that. fruity, kind of fruity floral. I I do get a little bit yeah. of. Does not have that like that heaviness to mm-hmm. it that we're right. we're used to smelling. I'm getting a little bit of caramel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I think that's that mm-hmm. underlying sweetness that's there. Yeah, I've got I'm getting a little fruit too, almost lemon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting some sort of a citrus. Now that you mentioned it, yeah. Yeah, almost like an orange. Great, yeah. we're all group thinking now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, it's it's just like one person throws yes, that idea. Like, Why not? Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> right, time for the taste. <laughs> Very smooth. Oh, that's delightful. That is delightful. I hate to say the S word, but that's mm, what it ooh. is. <laughs> There's that Kentucky hug again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. You know, I taste more of the same. That's not always the case. Usually when you know something, your 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 palate is a little bit different, but I'm tasting a lot of the same things I was smelling, which is not always the case for, mm-hmm. for a complex bourbon like this. But I'm getting some caramel. I'm definitely getting some kind of a, a citrus or fruity flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It definitely is not that like heavy wood yep. woody flavor. You said this was that... two year, right? No, this is six year. Six year. Six okay. year. And a little uh, disclosure here on my part: um, this Heaven Hill six year is one of my favorites. It's kind of a go to, um, and mm-hmm. I have put it in some blind tastings um, that I've done with friends and um, put it up against some very expensive, very old whiskeys. And in a few cases, this has won the tastes uh, that I've done together. I mean, yeah. it's, I think it's that good for a... Uh, it yeah. is very good. I'm kind of tasting like an an orange peel from it. Oh, very good, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, this would make a great old-fashioned. Yeah, that's that's like what I was... Yeah. It would. It would. You wouldn't feel too bad about it either because it's only 14 <laughs> Yeah, but it's, I will say, uh, just to, to add in, in my hunt to get all the bourbons that we were tasting after I got a list from Steve Price, MD... Um, <laughs> I was looking for Heaven Hill six year, and at the five uh, liquor stores that I went to, I could not find it. It wasn't until I went way out into Kentucky, like probably a half an hour out from Cincinnati, that I actually found uh, Heaven Hill six year. Yeah, so like down where I grew up, uh, there's a tiny little liquor mm-hmm. store, and I remember the first time walking in there, they had about two rows of of the heaven hill six year which i remember specifically for the green label uh so it's like once you could just get down like another like 25 30 minutes south you can find it but it was completely sold out around cincinnati and probably for good reason Hmm. what's interesting about this product um is that they don't do any advertising for it it's really only for kentucky people 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I think there are some theories that the Shapira family, who owns Heaven Hill Distillery, basically makes this for their uh, their employees and for the people of Kentucky. That it's that good of a bourbon, but they really only make it mm-hmm. available for them. That that's a theory that I've heard thrown out there. Because believe me, we'd love to be able to get it in Indiana. Every time I'm down there, I buy a case of it, and then I give it away <laughs> as gifts to people. It's it's that good and that hard to find up here. So okay, go ahead. So, and take a swirl. Take a and, and give me an idea what you're getting on the finish. And the other thing about finish is it's not just about what you're tasting on the different parts of your mm-hmm. palate, but how long the finish lasts. A lot of people, when it comes down to splitting hairs over the, whether this bourbon's better than that one, people will talk about how long it finishes and the flavors they get on the finish. So go ahead and taste that. Tell me what you feel on the finish, how long it lasts. And yeah, my, my finish lasted for a good, like, 15, yeah, 20 too. seconds. I, I would have said 20. Uh, yep. Yeah. And it was just, like, it was really, really nice mm-hmm. and subtle. Like, it wasn't, like, overbearing on, like, the sting flavor that you that Nick <laughs> always gets. Uh. I think uh, taste wise, though, the finish is a lot. A lot of the floral that I was smelling, I didn't get that in the palate, but I got it in the finish. Uh, that mm-hmm. floral stuck around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, it was like that. That's what I think lent to that idea of the orange mm-hmm. peel that you yeah, said that earlier. Was like you get a lot of that. Yeah, you get a lot of that citrusy, like, bolder flavor mm-hmm. up front in the body, but then it tails off in that floral side, which is the right. peel, versus just yeah. the actual yeah, right. kind of nice. That's, that's um, exactly what I was feeling, was kind of that lemon-orange uh, while it was finishing. Yeah. Last time we did this, we went on a 1 to 10 scale. Do you guys want to try the points out of 33 scale and see what we land on this time? Um, basically, the way that it works is you get a scale of 1 to 33 – for nose, palate, and finish, those points added up are the total that you give the uh, bourbon. Nose, I'd give it, out of 33, I'd give it like a 30, 31, 32. Wow. Like, I really yeah. enjoyed it. Palette, I would also give like a 30, 31. And finish, I'd put it up there at like a 32. Wow. Wow. So then you're giving it a total of so 94 in total, points. drop it only a total like... F- wow. Yeah, I really enjoyed 94. that. Delicious. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would say I would... I'd give the nose... I think probably a 30. I think that that's fair. Um, palette... I would probably... I'd put higher, probably at like a, a 28 is where I'd put palette. Um, and then for finish, I really enjoyed the finish. I'd probably put that at a 31. Okay. Nose. So a total of uh, quick maths, an eighty nine is where I'd put that. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a little lower on the nose. I'm gonna say it's like a maybe a twenty four. Um, maybe just hit me weird. I did, I wasn't really smelling all those things. Um, the palate is pretty good. I rate that probably about a thirty, and then the finish was. Actually, very good. I'll give that one a 30 as well. I'm actually looking at a times, a couple of times before when I have rated this. I use the Distiller app, by the way. If you're 
Ask, mm-hmm. They're thinking about something where you can start uh, to get an idea what other people think, how a whiskey tastes, and read about tastings, and maybe even start your own um, online collection in this app. I recommend Distiller. Um, I've tried a couple of different whiskey apps out there. I think this is the best. Um, they have tastings for... We're not sponsored, but we are looking to be. <laughs> 20 or 30,000 different um, of um, whiskeys that are, or I'm sorry, of spirits. They have uh, over 10,000 uh, tastes uh, available. I'm looking at what I have said about the Heaven Hill six year before as well as tonight. Um, looks like I have rated it um, almost exactly where Alex did. I had it at an 89. Um, hey, it, nice. The only thing that really is going to hold this whiskey back for me is going to be the finish, and that's probably just due to the age uh, when compared to some older, maybe more complex whiskeys that have been in the barrel a little bit longer. But as I mm-hmm. disclosed early, this is one of my favorites. I think it's an incredible value for $15 if you can get your hands yeah. on this. I think it's a wonderful low rye expression. It works well in cocktails. It obviously tastes well neat. And uh, like I said, I usually buy a case while I'm down there and then give it away to friends or I take them to tastings here and give them to folks um, and let them try it because I think it's just a, an incredible product for the money. So enough And 89 is still a really okay. good yeah. score. Yeah, let's yeah. pass. Yeah, for for fifteen dollars, I mean, I I don't have anything on my list um, that is ranked that high for anywhere close to that kind of money. So, if you're looking for your value, that that's the one. So, I think just to um, look at the contrast, let's go ahead and move up to um, the higher rye bourbon. Let's let's do the old granddad bottled in bond. The first right, thing you're going right. to notice when you look at this is it's probably going to be a little dark. Well, it's it looks about the same. The age of the six-year and the four-year don't really look to be that much different when you look at the color. The legs look, I don't know, this looks like it might be, I don't know, maybe a little more viscous than the last. Um, the other thing you're going to notice when you taste this, when you go to the... Uh, mm past the nose to the palate, you might even notice it on the nose, is the bottled and bond products are all 100 proof. So this is going to be about mm-hmm. 10 point higher proof than the Heaven Hill was. So go ahead and nose that. Tell me what you're, tell me what you're getting. I'd say it's stronger. It's, it's oh, a little yeah. more harsh than the uh, that has Heaven That Hill. has the musk that I For was sure. talking about. This is granddad. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is grandpappy. <laughs> this is the old, yep. Yeah. I said this last time, but it still sticks. This has the nose of like my grandfather's cologne, is what it smells like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You keep comparing it to cologne. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think that I ended up settling on like an old leather, is what it smells like to me. Almost, yeah. I have to admit, I'm getting exactly what I got last time. I'm getting old bazooka bubble gum in the package. <laughs> yeah. Almost a little yeah. bit of that kind of. Almost yep. a bubble gummy, but with a little bit of that that white sugar that's in there too. Yeah. After you mentioned that last time, after you mentioned that last time, I, it's like all I can get now. <laughs> Are you guys getting a tobacco smell from it? Because I'm getting a tobacco mm. smell. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of vanilla too. I think I'm getting that vanilla. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm getting some vanilla. Good. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's get some get some taste going. Immediately notice the higher proof. Oh yeah. Yeah. That oh, one. yeah. That's got that's got the hug. <laughs> you have to smack your lips a little bit. They call that the Kentucky Chew. 
You smack your lips and get that flavor going a little bit. Am I supposed to do that very loudly so that I annoy everyone else in the room? <laughs> just, just asking. Yeah. Just don't. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a good whiskey, but just different. Very different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still good. So what do you notice? It made my tongue go numb. <laughs> yeah, the, the higher This one definitely, ha- definitely had a heavier body to it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. I think it's that higher rye. I'm definitely getting a spicier Almost like mm-hmm. there's more, like there's almost a little bit of pepper or something spicy or a little hot underneath yeah. it that, that's not just the proof. I'm getting a little of the caramel. I kind of get a little of that caramel mm-hmm. flavor. But definitely I can tell that it's a higher rye just from the, I think it's a spicier whiskey. That, the nose is what's so interesting to me. It's sharper almost, I'd say. Mm-hmm. It's going to sound weird, but in my experiences with, uh, funeral homes it smells a lot like a funeral home it's weird i know <laughs> but it's kind of that old wood like like old wooden floors um like musky carpet that kind of and it's not a bad thing it's just like antique is what it smells like oh it smells like a church now mm. kind of yeah like a really old church church pews church pews yeah yeah church pews mm-hmm. it smells like church you get pews. a good whiff mm-hmm. when you're kneeling <laughs> Go ahead, and if you haven't uh, kind of measured your finish, take a another kind of watch for how long it takes it to finish, and what if there are any other new flavors come out during that. Yeah, I think with focusing on the finish, I'm getting a lot of uh, wheat, a lot of uh, grain, kind of mm-hmm. baked bread. Yeah, hmm. I don't get that so much. Yeah. I'm getting more of a spice kind of on the on the finish. Yeah, almost, um, almost to almost a little bitter, a little bit of a bitter spice. Yeah, I don't know it's not it's necessarily like a. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not getting the spice cinnamon. Girl who got it's... kicked out of the band. <laughs> <laughs> spice girls, bitter spice. Yeah, I don't think I'm getting like cinnamon spice, but it's almost more of like an anise, like, mm. um, like slightly uh, slightly brighter than cinnamon. Mm-hmm. I don't like mm. anise, but I'll say cloves. <laughs> red hot gum. Oh, clove, yeah. <laughs> clove. Yeah, that's good. Red hot clove. Gum. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. red hot. Oh, clove. I, I do hear you're, that you're a lot in tasting. Lad. Some people will say this tastes like big red, big red gum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you got a little <laughs> of that. Too big red, then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I would say. Okay, it. what's everybody's ranking on this one? I'll go first this time, mm-hmm. uh, if that's okay, go and then it. Nick can go first next time. Okay. Um. I think on the nose, I found the nose really interesting, and that's kind of what the entertainment of this is. Is, I mean, yeah, it's fun to drink, but the the really entertaining part of uh, bourbon tasting is trying to figure out all of those different elements coming together. And the nose was really interesting to me. I I think that this is definitely a bourbon where the nose kind of takes it for me. I I think I'd put the nose at probably a thirty one. Um. The palette I enjoyed, but I think I'd probably rate that a, about a 27. Um, and then the finish really didn't last terribly long for me, for whatever reason. Um, but I did kind of pick up different tastes during it, so I'd probably put that at about a 26. Mm. Okay. So what was your yep. total on that one? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I need to do the math. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Go on. It was 42. Whoever, whoever else is ready. Okay. I got this. Uh, nose, pretty good. Um, probably not my favorite. It was a little more harsh than the, uh, than the Heaven Hills, but I'd rate it probably like a 20. Um, 
So like if we're doing letter grades, I'd probably give that a C. Middle C. Um, palette, it was, it was okay. Um, a, a little more of that Kentucky hug with this one. Uh, but I'd say that the notes there are, are more, like I said before, like in the cloves, definitely getting that spice. And, uh, the finish kind of sticks with me after a while. I don't know why. So I'm going to rate that like, a maybe a, maybe a 24 for the finish. Okay. It's not very pleasant. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like that sticking around that long. <laughs> or say it's welcome. Okay. My total was an 84. Okay. Thank you. Good. What you got, Michael? All right. So as far as nose on this one, I'd probably go a little bit lower than I did on the uh, Heaven Hills. Um, I gave that like a 31, 32. So I'd probably give this one like a 28 uh, right around there. Um, and then palette wise, uh, it was a little bit harder to kind of cut through the Kentucky hug. So, <laughs> uh, but it was like very deep and flavorful. Um, hmm, I, I'd probably rank this one probably at like a 27, 28 too. Um, and then finish, uh, I really enjoyed the finish on this one cause you get all those complex spice flavors. Um, so I, probably give finish on this one probably like a 29 <laughs> so in total Good. that would be about a uh 84 hey you landed where i landed we yeah. both had an 84 <laughs> nice <laughs> it's spicy it just stuck around too long that's the key thing here for me mm. the only thing that i ended up uh lowering it uh compared to the last one was the finish um i thought it nosed beautifully it smells like a, a traditional bourbon um, I thought the, the mm-hmm. taste was very good. Uh, I liked it. For me, it finished a little bitter. Um, maybe the spice, I don't know why, yeah. but the spice turns a little bitter for me. So that pulled it down just a little bit. Um, I'm My total on this was about, uh, it was an 87 compared to the 89 mm. for the Heaven mm. Hill. Still pretty high, okay. but not as good. Not, not yeah, for me, it wasn't quite as good. Um, and, you know, I, I'll just throw out there on, on, a, on a given night, those two could go neck and neck, just depending on how my palate feels, what I had for supper. Those, mm-hmm. Some of those things just kind of change. That bitter, yeah. I don't know why. The, I, I, I got bitter tonight that I haven't had before with it. So I just have to be true to what my palate's telling me right now. So. All right, well, let's move on to the Maker's Mark. Um, what... One that you hear a lot of people talk about, kind of a legendary bourbon. And frankly, when I did my bourbon trail um, visits down there, uh, I, I enjoyed my visit at Maker's Mark more so than I did uh, any other distilleries. Um, it's a beautiful place. The people were super nice. Um, the uh, It's almost like you're part of the family as you're touring around down there. They just kind of treat you that way. Very, I enjoyed it very, very much. Maker's Mark is a weeded bourbon. So in addition to the 51% Mm -hmm. corn, their additional grains are wheat. There's no rye in this bourbon. So it will nose. It Mm -hmm. should taste different than the others. So um, let's just, everybody, give it a nose. Quick little coffee reset here real quick. A lot different. Yeah, I did that too. I'm getting, uh, I'm definitely getting the tobacco smell again. Hmm. But there's something, I think I'm getting a cherry too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something fruity. Definitely fruity. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of like a like a cherry vanilla coke almost. Hey, with a little bit of that tobacco. Oh, I get that too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's a little more okay. harsh for smelling. Mm. A little more harsh. Good for the taste. Mm. Taste okay. Mm-hmm. Makers is always really good. It is. Mm-hmm. It's just a classic. Mm. There's a oh man. There's a very distinct vanilla finish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very distinct vanilla finish. You know, I happen to know this kind young man who got me a bottle for Christmas that I will mention here. How nice. <laughs> he knew I was going to run out of Makers eventually. I got this neat little gift set that had a uh, the trailer from out front that's full of barrels and a fresh bottle of Makers. Thank you, Alex. Of course. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It came in good use. <laughs> this uh, <laughs> I haven't even opened that bottle yet. This is the very tail end of my last, the last of the Makers I bought about a year ago. Mm. Mm. Yes, um, I, I I always taste a little bit of fresh baked bread when I taste uh, yeah. Makers as well. Definitely kind of that fruity, that uh, almost the cherry, the cherry Coke that nailed the nose for me for sure. But oh, yeah. I get a little bit of that uh, of that grainy kind of bread flavor as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm right there with you all on the flavor. Yeah, I took a deep inhale in through my mouth for the finish. Yeah. And it, that 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 cherry coke and that vanilla taste mm-hmm. just really hit me. It was the first time that like I'm always like looking through the bourbon to try to see what I taste, but that was the first time I was like, "This is what this tastes like." <laughs> We're refining our palates. Mm. It's a very sweet cherry vanilla taste. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm actually is. gonna try adding a little bit of water to open it up a little bit. See if I get anything different. You know, on That's that note, I'll I'll mention to you that is a lot of uh, a lot of people do that. Um, and I mentioned Jimmy Russell before the uh, the head distiller at at Wild Turkey for many many years. Um, when asked how he drank whiskey. You would expect him to say neat because that's kind of, you know, neat is the term we use when we don't add anything to it. We just put mm-hmm. it in the glass and taste it. But um, Jimmy Russell said, I, I drink whiskey on the rocks. That's how I drink yep. it. I mean, here's one of the best tasters out there, one of the best palates, kind of one of the pantheons of whiskey. And, you know, he drinks it different than a lot of people do. Some people will add a little bit of water. And I'll add there that I have bought some of that limestone water out of Kentucky. <laughs> That's supposed yep. to taste just some, exactly like that. Do you have some of that? I have no, but I have yeah. it on the way now. Yeah. Oh, you <laughs> yeah. do. You ordered yeah, some. I did. <laughs> I make my uh, ice cubes. If I'm going to ice down whiskey, I make it with that limestone water uh, out of Kentucky. I'm I I'm just going to say that compared to the tap water uh, where I live, I notice a difference. I mean, I, our tap mm-hmm. water is not that great, but if you're going to water down your whiskey, you might as well use good water. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm interested to see really like the difference between that water and the water that I have here in Covington, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And see if it, yeah. seeing how different it actually is. Mm-hmm. I'm using Brita filter water. Yeah, that, mm. that's what I use. <laughs> that's good. Just get anything that gets the that minerals. Kentucky Brita. If you can get the minerals yeah. out of there, that makes a big difference. Oh, I just have very scaly water, so probably <laughs> yeah. a lot of limestone in there. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. All right. So what's everybody's? Uh, Nick, do you want to start yeah. us off? Yeah, uh, let me let me take a little swill here. Yeah, so nose is pleasant. Um, I'd probably rate that like a maybe a twenty-eight. It's very good to smell. Um, going down is pretty smooth too. It's more of a I don't want to say bland, but it's has less that complexity of the spices and and all that with the with the other ones. Um, so. I don't know. I'm going to rate that one pretty high because I kind of enjoy that. There's not a lot of look to look for, and you can just kind of sit back and enjoy it. So 
maybe a 30 on that. Um, and then the finish, pretty good. That that also gets a 30. I'm feeling generous today. This is a, <laughs> yeah, that's this, so. This is your this is your top bourbon yes. that we tried tonight. Yeah, I mean, well, last time we tried it on the Forgotten Podcast, it probably wasn't the highest for for whatever reason. But um, hey, a, a lizard can change his clothes or whatever they say. What I don't know. There's a phrase, an idiom that, if you will, that people like to mm. use a lot. So that you rest at an 88, right? Yeah, 30, 30, 28. It's a quality bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Michael, do you want to go ahead and go and yeah, sure. Uh, close out the amateur wave, and we can move on to our <laughs> the uh, professional. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the nose on this one. I think like that really deep but sweet flavor of that like very reminiscent of the cherry coke, um, mm-hmm. with a little bit of vanilla back behind it. Um, nose wise, I'd probably give this like a th- probably about a thirty thirty one. Um, palette, palette. I got hit with all of those like, uh, deep, uh, like cherry flavors in there. Um, uh, and for me, like makers, I think just because of like my personal history with it and like it being like my, like a staple throughout like the history of like my friends, parents, like childhood and like, um, just the, having that deep connection, like the palette on this to me is like what bourbon tastes like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so for me, I'd probably give that like a 29, like 28. Uh, and finish, finish, I actually thought was like one of the weakest parts about it. Um, hmm. Not to say that it was bad finish, but it was just, uh, it didn't offer that much up to me. And so I'd probably give this mm-hmm. like a 26 on finish. Mm-hmm. So in total, that would be like a, a let's see, seven, four, uh, and two. Or seven, four, and three, uh, 14 points off, probably 89. Total of an 89. Yeah. So still That's not bad. very good. Uh, the only part oh, I yeah. found lacking was the finish. Yeah. That's fair. Um, being that, that we're still 20-somethings, uh, I think that we all three tend toward a sweeter experience. Mm-hmm. Um. As much as we love being adults and drinking bourbon, we all also love still drinking soda pop and, <laughs> yeah. and those sweeter tastes. Gonna call me out so, like that. I mean, yeah, the <laughs> nose, the kind of sweeter aroma to it. Um, uh, definitely that orange and uh, not well, not orange, but that cherry and vanilla. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that all I loved all of that. I would definitely put the nose at a thirty. Um, the the palate, I don't think. I mean, yeah, I guess the palate was my favorite part. I don't think that I would call it a religious experience, <laughs> but it was definitely the first time that, like, I've tasted bourbon and have been like, yes, my mm-hmm. palate has found something <laughs> yeah. and immediately attached to it. And it was that vanilla uh, kind of cherry Coke taste. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that I'm going to forget that anytime soon because it was really was the first time where I was like, this is something, this is it. This is what it tastes like. So mm-hmm. I think I'll put that at a, a 32 probably. Um, but yeah, with the finish, I'd agree. It it goes down smooth and it finishes easy. Um, if we're kind of judging on how long a finish lasts as being of a better uh, caliber, which I mean, I think in my case, that's kind of how I see it. There wasn't a very long finish on it. Uh, it doesn't stick around with you in the way that other bourbons do. So I think I would rate the finish the lowest. 
Uh, but even that, I'd probably put it like a, a 26. Um, so altogether, I actually landed at an 88 as well. Wow. Nice. Hi, yeah. Marks. Wow. I feel so good Hi, right Makers now. I, I feel like you guys are really nailing this tasting. I think you're doing a great job with it. Hopefully, uh, if any of you out there are listening, you're hearing what these guys are saying. I think pretty much nailed the same kinds of things that I was thinking about, kind of those vanilla feelings. Um, uh, Makers is a weeded product. And so if this is if you're tasting this and you really like this compared to the others, when you go to a liquor store and you're looking for a new bourbon to try, if you don't know which ones are weeded products, you should need to be asking. You should be trying the Larcenies or the old Fitzgeralds or uh, any of the products out there that are made using more wheat than the others. So, um, Alex, I had exactly the same number. I was looking back at other tastings I've done with makers, and I've rated it anywhere from 87 to 90 based on the night. Um, and what I'm tasting and how it's finishing. And if there's any flaw that, that can be found with makers, I think we're all going to agree that the finish is short. Um, everybody mm-hmm. agrees with mm-hmm. that. I've written that down a couple of different times. Tonight, I gave it an 88. Um, and again, the only reason it's going to lose some points are just going to be some of the finish and so forth. But I, do, I like the flavor of this weeded bourbon. I think it's excellent. Uh, all of the flavor notes that you guys were mentioning, um, I think we're all just right on the money. Um, other things I've, I've said in the past about it, I've, I've mentioned creme brulee on the nose, uh, in the past, which is something yeah. kind of new out there. I've mentioned spearmint in the past on the, on the, on the palate part, but I think we're all saying the same thing that kind of the fruity, um, whole wheat bread on the finish and yeah. What's the, what's the little, what's the little grass that they put on top of meals when they're over $30? <laughs> basil? Um, is it basil Parsley? or sage or... Parsley. That's I think it. Parsley. It's parsley. I'm getting, I'm, right. getting, I'm getting aftertastes of parsley, but it's very long after I've tried it. Nah, you crazy. <laughs> All right, thanks. Yeah, Just I'm going to go after after doing this now. I'm going to go open that Elijah Craig back up and see what I can find through that. Yeah. Can I just sure. say on the recording and on the record that hearing uh, hearing Steve Price MD say that he's proud of the three of us is oh. probably the highlight of this podcast. <laughs> we love <laughs> like, it. Like, not, not this episode, this podcast. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> we did it, you guys. Oh, we was... finally made it. Yeah, you did great. <laughs> we figured great. out how to do it. You know, the, the, the tastings, this is what it's all about when it comes down to deciding what, what you like and, and, and helping other people kind of come along in their journey with whiskey and bourbons is just sit down, taste these things, talk to each other. What are you, what are you tasting together? And for people who want to set up tastings um, with their friends, I recommend doing it blind where you just number yeah. the glasses and set them out there and then let everybody just say what they're tasting and then rank, Mm -hmm. and then guess what you think it is. And sometimes you'll just be blown away. I thought it was going to be this one because I've had that before, and you find out you like something completely different. So that's another way to do a Mm. tasting different than what we did tonight is just to have somebody pour them for you, number them, set them up, and then just at the end of the night kind of do a big reveal and just everybody enjoy together um, what the winning bourbon was for that group and uh, help you kind of figure out what it is that you really like by doing a doing a blind tasting. So that's another way to do it that I, that I definitely recommend. For sure. Yeah, I mean, going into this, I, I especially think people who listen to our podcast and reading the title is like uh, whatever, whatever fancy words Nick uses to describe what... Uh, this what this episode's about uh, i think it, it's probably a question on everyone's head is like how is bourbon entertainment 
but exactly how you just described that is how it's entertainment mm, it's sure. the tasting it's getting together it's trying all of them it's collecting them it's trying to get those rare ones like pappy van winkle yeah um, it's the hobby of bourbon tasting that makes it entertaining yeah uh, and i think that you brought that point across very well uh thank you so much for coming on and we i i think we have uh just invaluable knowledge now that we probably couldn't have gotten in any other way um so thank you so much again for coming Absolutely. on thank you very yeah, much i really you. enjoyed it guys thank you yeah. Um, so we are going to go ahead and take a short musical outro break that may have ads in it if somehow we've gotten advertisers since then. Uh, mostly that's just for the future where we do have advertisers. We have to edit it in somehow. Um, but we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, uh, Nick takes us on our quick this. Nope. We'll be right nope. back. No, wait. You did this nope, last it's you, Michael. You did this in the forgotten I'm recording. reenacting it. That's what's happening. <laughs> Guys, you're ruining it. You're ruining the bit. I was just I was just bringing that goof back. That's what's Oh, uh, yeah, it was totally a bit. Uh-huh. I didn't, I didn't forget. Nick would not be doing Sorry, any talking. We cha- <laughs> Guys, we changed up the or we changed up the order for the new year. Okay. Play Nick, are you playing the music yet? Okay, make it make it yep, louder. Okay. okay. Block yeah, me out. Cool. Turn yeah, me down. Welcome back, ladies and gents. I'm throwing it over to my boy, Michael, who's brought something special to the table. Yeah, so for this week's Quick This, I so in general, I've been uh, stuck in my apartment for quite a long time, and through that, I've spent a lot of time on my computer, and a lot of that time has been spent on YouTube, going down different rabbit holes, uh, and recently, I found a new YouTube channel called Sideways. Now, Sideways is a guy who uh, specializes in talking about music, but talking about like movie soundtracks and how those uh, either introduce different themes or uh, make us feel certain ways, and then he can like tie that back to like different theatrical productions, um, and he just explains everything in such a very easy to understand way. Like for me, I have never done any sort of like music classes or no i don't know any music theory or anything like that but i can relate through everything that he's explaining in these videos and makes it very interesting to follow along with uh and he covers a giant breadth of topics um covering things from like why the musical cats is way worse than you actually think it is to (laughs) things like uh why uh why the moves, why the music and like the rise of Skywalker felt misleading and a lot of other topics. One that Alex, I think will really be interested in is the sound of the spider verse where he talks about like how all the different sounds and musical themes of that combine to create a magical experience. We uh, get it. I like Spider-Man. Yeah. We got to move on guys. It's 2021. <laughs> no, nah, I'm drinking out of Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man. Spider-Man's always cool. Uh, we know. Yeah. This. Water bottle. But there's, uh, there's, Two videos that I found that I really wanted to talk about of his that uh, I found really interesting. Uh, I'll start with the first one, and that's what makes Disney music sound nostalgic. And it's a really uh, unique idea that something can be created to automatically spark these feelings of nostalgia within you. Uh, That you automatically, upon hearing something for the first time, feel like it's been in your life forever. Um, And that is something that Disney has kind of nailed ever since like thinking back, like even really like sleeping beauty. Maybe that's just for me, like because I've always grown up watching them. So it literally is nostalgic, 
but they just do an incredible job of making their music all fit this uh, the same nostalgic feeling. And Sideways in this video goes through and breaks down how um, in movies like uh, Sleeping Beauty and in uh, The Little Mermaid, those two specifically of how they do how they go about doing this. And a lot of it comes back to um, they really wanted these Disney movies to essentially be animated theatrical theatrical musicals, um, bringing a lot of those same themes in. So there's certain situations like you introduce a your main character, your main protagonist through an I want song. And I want song being what uh, just the character themselves describing what it is that they want to get out of life that they currently don't have. So in like Sleeping Beauty, that would be like more than this provincial life. Um, and in uh, Little Mermaid, that'd be like, I want to go where That's the people Beauty are. Beauty and the Beast. What did I say? <laughs> Sleeping Beauty. Yep. So uh, <laughs> Beauty. Sorry, I'm playing resident fact checker because Chloe couldn't be on this call. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, but you guys get the point. Uh, so it's all about presenting the character as them explaining their own uh, situation and where they want to be. And then along with that, they also have where the antagonists present their themselves and their ideologies through an I am song. Uh, that is situations where like Gaston, um, <laughs> his, his big number, uh, or let's see, Little Mermaid, that would be the, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember what song it is, but it's not Poor Unfortunate Soul. I guess it, it kind well, of is. There's a, song, there's a song in the musical... Uh, of Little Mermaid that is exactly that, which is a song that she sings about her dad basically mm. not loving her as much as he loved everybody else. Uh, but yeah, I think um, Poor Unfortunate Soul is the one where she's like, this is what I am. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's been a while since I've listened to it. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's crazy how much of these concepts that, we, uh, that Disney took from theatrical productions and put them into their animated movies. And that's really what sparked off what a lot of people refer to as the Disney Renaissance, where you have these movies that just exploded onto the scene. And any single time that you talked about an animated movie, it was just assumed to be like a Disney movie, kind of like how parents always refer to like, your your game console oh the nintendo uh <laughs> the playstation <laughs> right um but then sideways to point it back to his channel he um immediately after releasing that video he released another video called the problem with tarzan uh and it's really crazy because the tarzan the tarzan movie is seen as the end to the disney renaissance uh, and I'll explain real quickly why that is. Disagree. So we loop back to, we talked about. Wait, I know this. Yeah. I know this. This is because the, the they say the Disney Renaissance ended when all of Disney started casting celebrities and shit in their movies, right? No. So are you talking about Phil Collins? So yes and no. You? I am talking about Phil Collins, <laughs> okay. but it's because they moved away from the aspect of having, of the of these movies being musicals. Uh, like, you could argue that Tarzan, while it is very musically backed and there are plenty of musical numbers throughout the movie, <laughs> none of them are actually the characters singing it unless you count the scene of the gorillas uh, doing their little scat Trash song. In the camp. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is the only song or the only number in that entire movie that is actually sung by the characters, uh, which is a major departure from everything that we had seen from Disney over the last. 15 20 years before that um 
And it's not to knock Phil Collins. Like, I love Phil Collins. And I thought his performance in Tarzan was incredible. But it doesn't hit the same way that, like, I want to go where the people are in Little Mermaid or This Provincial Life uh, or even um, Be Our Guest. Uh, because you're not only you're not having an external force narrating what's going on. You're having the characters burst out into these emotional performances to for us to see, for them to lay all of their problems and emotions and feelings out for us to see and bear. And it's crazy, like looking back on it and just thinking, like, yeah, like what really have we gotten since then uh, from Disney? We've gotten Frozen. Frozen is all the characters singing their individual parts again. And that movie connected like we hadn't seen from Disney in a long time. And then we got Moana. Moana is another one where all the characters are singing their own individual songs. Um, Like the, um, what can I say? You're welcome is an absolute banger. I think no one will argue with that. Uh, Even though the rock isn't the best singer. I think there's something about just having him, even though like he's not a good singer, expressing his feelings through song throughout the movie that really helps you connect with his character as that being his introduction. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and it's this, it's this whole world that Sideways really goes into that of this emotional connection to songs while also backing it up with the musical theory that he has behind it and explaining how all of it actually fits together and works that I've found really interesting. And I think that anyone should go and check out his channel. Like I went through, I've watched every single one of his videos now at this point. And I think the, why the music and cats, his most recent one that he released a few weeks ago, absolutely hilarious (laughs) too. And I've watched it now about three or four times. Uh, and it's incredibly good. Highly recommend it. I never saw cats. I didn't either. I don't feel like I don't want to now, especially after I think, I think if you want the best cats experience, go watch sideways video about why it's bad. Fair enough. (laughs) I think that, uh, we went to see a movie the first Christmas I spent up in Indiana with you guys, Steve, and we had the option to go see cats, but -hmm. instead we decided to go be disappointed by star Wars instead. And I would argue (laughs) it was a better experience. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah I know bad. Jake and Jake and my son Simon went to see it and they they did not they did not care for cats very much but they also went into the bathroom <laughs> they... and put on makeup like cats to go back yeah. into the theater and see if they could frighten They decided people, so. to to fanboy cats. <laughs> oh my gosh. Put cats all over their face and then they went in they like painted themselves up as cats and tried to go scare people and then snuck into into Star Wars anyway. So oh all is gosh. well that ends well. Yeah, I would really love to hear you and like Chloe's reaction to the cats movie because it is very much not good. Maybe that's the first thing we can actually put up on our Patreon is a watch along to cats. Oh my gosh, that'd be incredible. Yeah. We'll see. Well, thank you again, Steve, for, mm-hmm. for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Michael, for uh, telling us about... What was his name again? Sideways. The... Sideways. YouTube.com slash C slash Sideways 440. Hey, link in the if description. If you're interested in music, you should definitely go check that out. If you're interested in bourbon, then link uh, in the description. stay tuned <laughs> and keep listening, because as soon as Steve uh, released his first episode of his podcast... I think we had a, a name kind of being thrown around, right? 
Maybe. Ah, yeah, Steve's Bourbon Odyssey. We'll see. We'll mm. see if that ends up being we'll the see. final. Yeah, we'll very, very sticks. much in early pre-production. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, if that ends up being a thing, you will hear it first from our podcast. We will redirect you to Steve's Bourbon Odyssey for sure. <laughs> uh, so thank you again for coming on. Really thank appreciate you. it. Uh, if you guys want to, if this is your first time listening, you want to find more of our episodes, best place that you can do that is at our website, www.entertainthis.net. You will find up in the top right corner of that website links to all of our social medias so that you can get in contact with us. If there's anything that maybe you find entertaining that you want us to cover, we are always looking for new things to entertain us uh, while we entertain you and you entertain this. So until next Friday. I'm Alex. I'm Michael. And I'm Nick. And we'll see you all then. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. This episode of Entertain This was written and hosted by Dr. Steve Price, MD, with additional commentary from Nick Mustakangas, Alex Steele, and Michael Savoya. Our theme music, as always, is Rush Rubble by Aaron Spencer, with additional transitional music by DJW. Tune in every Friday for new episodes, and thanks for listening.